future is Mecca. In the previous episode. Who did you lose on the Apolluna? My dad, isn't it obvious? I lost my mother and my sister. It's not a competition. The object that collided with the Apolluna wasn't in our orbit. Going by its path and its velocity, it was an interstellar object. Still lying. Anu showed me the feed from the stand cameras. Your stupid mecha fell back onto mine. Good morning, Pilot Praxi. That was the best thing about Tuesday. The little dimwad is gonna knock me down? In his little bitty mecha? I'm so scared. I don't understand how, but some rather large jet ports just opened on the back of your legs. The baby's got jets! The baby's got jets, said Azalea. I kept walking across the field. The baby had jets? The baby had jet ports on the back of its legs? I'd looked. I'd kicked the back of those legs. Maybe they're like the hidden handholds on Coda's Nova Elite. I just hadn't kicked in the right spot. But where were they last week? Calibrating, I bet. This was going to change everything. The only point being scored today, called Tien, pointing with her stick, is your cockpit into that net. The 8-meter ranges made it feel like I was being talked down to. This isn't a tryout, said Ainsley. It's a beating. I'm going to sky drop you so hard they're going to need to dig you out of the turf, said Risto. I didn't reply. I was too busy giving my new jets the tiniest of pulses, just enough to break contact with the ground. Then I drop back down. Up. Down. I was trying to work out how much power I had under my feet. Enough chatter, said Coach Otter. He flew the ball into the net of my stick. Positions. Everyone knows what to do. Let's see if you can do better than last time, green guy. On the whistle. The piping sounded. Three red and white mechas rushed towards me. Whispering fast, I directed the baby to the side. I was performing a slow feint and they were falling for it. As they closed in, I reversed direction and tapped the jets for a speed boost. I was slammed against the harness straps. I saw Sky out of the front of the cockpit. Jets offline. There was an impact and I was thrown back into the seat. Then another impact and another as I bounced to a stop. I was stunned for a moment, but I seemed to be in one piece. I talked the baby into sitting up. I was in the orange of the danger zone, still holding the Mecros stick. While most of me was in the zone, the baby's upper body had made it across the line. Coda's drone buzzed up and made an orbit around me. He and Azalea followed as fast as their mechas could run. I'd never seen Coda run in his Nova Elite. It outpaced the Yogi Mech. I was making back onto my feet when they reached me. What was that? said Azalea. I think I overdid the jets. You sky-dropped yourself right out of the field. It was like you were shot from a railgun. The jets might need more calibrating. The bulk handler mecha reached us in a few steps. You avoid the first tackle, said Coach, taking back the macro stick. But you left the field, so you're out. See you next week, Coach, said Azalea. He gave a grumpy, exasperated grunt over group comms and trudged back to the field muttering. The team was gathered in the middle and they were jumping up and down and swinging their sticks. I'm glad I was too far away to hear their laughter. We had to wade through the crowd of excited learners <laughs> chairs to get onto the Freemex side of the field. I wanted to work with my jets and my friends both had practice to do. Everyone eventually calmed down and I was left alone. I didn't bother looking at any of the shares. 
Coda sent me a snippet from his drone where he could see the intake ports on the back of the baby's legs. Instead of two ports, there was a line of five down the back of each calf panel, the biggest one at the top and the rest growing smaller towards the ankle. Its legs were fat, so even the smallest port looked like I could fit my fist in it. It took a few jerks and starts, but I eventually talked the baby around a basic hovering and horizontal movement. It was tricky. I was going to have to adjust the proths. Anything stronger than a feathered touch would pop us above jet cutoff height. At the end, I could hang just below the boundary. Turn, slide, rise and fall. It was like balancing a stick on your hand, except I was inside the stick. My amazement didn't wear off. Neither did my relief. I might have an actual working mecha. Travnav and New Whitehorse were going to be mine. I could go to Coda's place or the city with my friends or on my own. I probably had room in the cockpit for my dad. We could go back to the city on jets, not shuttles, for the first time in like forever and eat donuts, see a streamy or a live show. I felt like I was floating on air, and I legitimately was. Nearly four meters of air. As I turned around to my jets, I could see Coda hovering in the center of a circle of spinning mechas, gesturing, conducting them, directing their smooth gliding. Azalea, Jaya, and Lashana were off to the side, exchanging rapid flurries of swings and punches that never quite landed, their arms and hands blurs of red, yellow, and blue. Other mechas were dancing in clumps of three and four. I was in the middle of it all. Finally. After all the years spent watching from the side, I was in the middle of it all. Lashana waved me over to join the squad. I took a step towards them, like an idiot does. With two jets suddenly pointing in different directions, the baby flipped backwards, heels overhead, jerking my hands against the jet throttles. I heard them roar. It was the world's fastest backflip, followed by the world's hardest belly flop. Calibrating, said the baby. Its cockpit pressed face down into the field. I swear it sounded frustrated. But I was hanging down from the harness and my brain was still wobbling like a ball of goop from the impact. There were going to be multiple sets of bruises across my shoulders tonight. And I would probably have a headache or whiplash. Real life mecking was trickier than simming and physically dangerous. Everyone who saw my flip was horrified. That they had stopped vidding me. I guess no one is going to get to share that crazy mishap. Azalea was like, Oh my moon! Jai in his soft voice was all, Cuz, you okay in there? Your head's still on? And Lashana, she couldn't stop laughing. Her mecha was shaking, slapping the side of its legs, and covering its cockpit with his mecha hands. I talked the baby back to its feet. Whispered, really. I was a bit winded. We're fine. I'm fine. Just need a bit more calibrating. A message arrived from Coda. <laughs> As I opened it, I looked across the field at him, hovering in the middle of a spinning cylinder of mechas. He raised an arm and gave me a thumbs up. The message was video from his drone. I could just see the baby beyond his weave that he was recording. It flipped over. Long plumes of distorted air from the jets flaring out from the bottom of its feet and it slammed into the ground. It hurt to watch. I felt the impact every time it looped. No shares, please, I wrote back, and added lots of gratitude hands. He sent me back along, fine, and some crying with laughters.
All through my technical stream, I had only a single thought. I was going to jet home this afternoon. Did I think about doing a belly flop onto the ring road from 100 meters up in the air? I sure did. Was that worse than kids laughing at me in my short, fat, ugly mecca as I walked all the way home? I wasn't sure. I figured, or I hoped, that falling 100 meters or so would give me time not to belly flop. The thing had to have safety systems like other mechas, right? Because it worked exactly just like other mechas? Right? Just in case, after I watched Azalea jet off to her flight club, and Coda jet off to some safety training thing his dad makes him do, I mecked back out to the field and practiced going up and down some more. Turn the jets up, turn the jets down. Raise, lower. Over and over again. I got a pretty good feel for it. The baby was staying stable. We weren't sticking any feet out. I got a bit trickier, because I'm a sim lord. No one in a sim takes the time to taper their jets on and off. It's too slow. We all use throttle bursts most of the time. Jets full on or full off. Short bursts move you slower than long bursts. Didn't really work with the baby. I tried the shortest full burst I could. It pushed me down into the seat and my chin onto my chest. I could see the roof of the learning place. We kept rising. My chin went up as gravity brought us to a halt at maximum altitude and we started to fall back to Earth. Of course, the jets wouldn't work until we were below the field's jet boundary. More jets, more jets, I mumbled to the baby. I pictured them cutting in and the two of us lowering gently to the ground. It was more like a jolt, like when you miss a step and land with your knees locked. It made my teeth click together, but for a short stop landing, I think we did okay. We were ready for Travnav. Theoretically, I didn't need the practice. Travnav would talk directly to the baby and pilot it every step of the way from liftoff to landing. Both the baby still calibrating, I wanted to feel like I could mech it myself if something went wrong. Like falling out of the sky and hoping emergency jets that might or might not be there would kick in. Despite that thought, I was grinning as I mecked off the field and headed around the building towards the transit pads, grinning and giggling with nervousness. I hadn't been in a flying mecha since Azalea let me co-pilot to Coda's place last month. We spent the night watching old Screamies in his giant theater room while his parents were on the moon. His dad was always shuttling up for meetings at Glurk Central, and his mother liked to go along for the low-gravity spas. No one was nearby as I stepped triumphantly onto the pad. Travnav requests system access, said the baby. Then give it access. Travnav request. Destination, please. It was weird hearing Travnav make requests. I'm a kid. The baby's registered to me. Travnav should just be sending me to the pad nearest my home address, since I haven't scheduled anywhere else, and I know my dad hasn't scheduled anything. I could give it my address or the transit pad number. FA1F0BEAA. I'd been waiting for so long to use it I'd memorized it out of desperation. But if I could tell it where I wanted it to go... Well then, I wanted to go to the city. Sky Plaza. That's the giant mid-level mecha park in the center of New Whitehorse. Jets on the line. We took off. We actually took off. Straight up. Then we turned and started jetting towards the city. After a few moments, there was a Travnav alert. Travnav request. Confirm high-speed transit. I didn't hesitate. Yes, I said. And we were shunted upwards into the high-speed transit lane, where only the fastest mechas can travel, like Nova Leets.
We accelerated up to the required speed. And there was another alert. Drive nav request. Confirm open flight. Anu's text chat about the baby's registration came back to me. The thing was open class. Open flight. Open class. Yes, I said. And we accelerated upwards. I was above and out of the transit lanes because of the baby. And I was just a kid. Even my dad couldn't do this. I could probably go anywhere. We began to slow down. Travdab message. You are in open flight. Observe all flight yeah, okay. regulations. I panicked for a moment as we came to a stop. But we weren't falling. We were just hanging in the air. High in the air. Almost as high as the city tower tops. The other mechas using Travnav were far below and tiny. Even the ones in the high-speed lanes. I felt like I was standing on the edge of one of the pedestrian bridges in the city, with my forehead against the glass and looking down, down to the ground below, and imagining falling. My heart was racing, I was afraid to move anything. I wasn't even touching the controls for the jets. The baby was waiting for me to pilot. I spun us around slowly, turning away from the city to look out over the wilderness beyond the industrial ring. From up here, I could see the grounds of the learning place and just make out my street. A tentative side-to-side motion didn't send us plummeting to the ground. I whispered to the baby and sent us moving slowly forward. I couldn't see any other mechas at our altitude. Nothing was going to run into us. I increased our speed. We're heading for the learning place. From way up here, I spotted a cluster of grey, flat-roofed buildings around the ring from the learning place. Was that where Anu's no-fly zone was? Where my dad might be working right now? I could totally take a closer look from up here. I started going faster. We continued to not fall out of the sky. I couldn't help but increase our speed even further. As we accelerated, the baby automatically tilted forward, and the cockpit lifted so we were flying almost horizontally and I was facing straight ahead. In sims, you're always jetting around at high speed, but there was something different about doing it in real life. For a start, you could really feel the acceleration. And accurate as the sims are, it felt so different in real life. Like my brain knew it was really happening, and so it was producing the high-quality excitement reserved for real things. If there's a chance of a real crash and really getting hurt, you might as well enjoy everything up to that moment as much as you can. We were zooming towards those buildings. They were huge. What were they for? They looked a lot like the vast greenhouses in an agricultural zone. Except the grey roofs weren't going to let any sunlight in. What would you make in a factory that size? Super giant mechas? As we got closer, I started wondering when Travnav was going to hit us with the no-fly zone. They give you a warning a few kilometers out, at least around the drop pads. I'd co-piloted once with my dad, years ago, to watch a Glurk drop shipment land. It was at night and it was pretty amazing. We went out over the wilderness, where Dad had to pilot manually. He liked doing that. It's what he did all day and he didn't like giving up control to Travnav if he didn't have to. I can remember Travnav announcing we were getting close and we were slowed down. Then, like an invisible wall, our sturdy mech, overridden by Travnav, straightened up, backed off on the jets and refused to move forward. Travnav wouldn't let us advance or climb any higher. We could follow an invisible border around the drop pad, but we couldn't cross it. We hung in the dark and watched the drop shipment land, its rockets turning the pad brighter than daylight, making the powerful ground lights illuminating the pad look dim until it was extinguished. 
and left us both with a huge bright spot in front of our eyes that took minutes to fade. I was crossing over the ring road, and still no warning. No stopping. Maybe Anu got it wrong. I could see into the zone now. I could see a few construction and bulk handler mechas moving between the buildings. No wonder Dad rode his bike. Even if he had a mecha, he couldn't have flown here anyway. I bet everyone hated having to mech on foot around the area, if there even was a no-fly zone. I slowed down as I crossed over the green belt between the houses and the grey industrial buildings. As I did, black shapes began to rise up from between the buildings. It took me a moment to realise they were drones. I didn't want to collide with any drones, so I muttered the baby into turning so we skirted around the edge of the site. My guts did a kind of a reverse hiccup when the drones, and there were dozens of them, put on a burst of speed, banking in unison to head straight for us. We were past the site and flying towards the edge of New Whitehorse and the wilderness beyond, but the drones kept following, matching every turn we made. I turned ahead to see they were getting closer, rising up in a wedge formation to match our altitude as they moved in. They weren't small drones, and they had jets instead of rotors. They were sharp-edged discs faceted across the top like flat black diamonds. They made me think about attack drones from the Viries. It was open space outside of New Whitehorse, just sink trees following the rise and fall of the land. I whispered to the baby, down to the treetops, faster. Within the trees, I saw the cut of a road. Follow the road, lower, below the treetops, between the trees. We were racing just above the road through the forest. I knew the road. I knew the turns. I barely saw the roadhouse as we flashed past it. It took all my concentration and all my reflexes to keep us on that road. The baby was faster and more maneuverable than any motorbike. We zigged. We zagged, we took hairpin corners, turning almost 180 degrees with barely a drop in speed. Except for the last one. I tried to take a quick look over our shoulder again, saw nothing, and turned back to a line of trees coming up at high speed, and the road below disappearing to the left. Turn! I yelled as I twisted the proths. The harness tightened, and the pilot seat seemed to close in around me as we went sideways into the trees, and through the trees. Well, some of them. We bounced off a bunch of the other ones. When we stopped, we were deep in the forest. There was a moment where I was relieved we had stopped and I was still in one piece. Then I remembered the drones. I rolled us over and got the baby to its feet and looked around. The road wasn't visible from where we ended up. The sky was just cracks of blue between the black leaves and the canopy of branches overhead. There was no sign of the drones. How far they followed us? Had we lost them when we careened off the road? Was I just lucky? And what would have happened if they caught up to us? They'd been pretty fierce looking. Did they have weapons? Would they have just surrounded us like giant hall drones and taken us back? Were they sent to knock us out of the sky? Were they waiting out there for us? My life was more and more starting to resemble a Viri. I thought about that company Anu found, Collective 23. They were supposed to be outside of Glurk's control. Maybe they were a front for an evil deadbelt genius. Those drones certainly looked evil. I just stood there, afraid to move, but afraid that if I stayed in one place, the drones would eventually find me and the baby. I didn't want to go back out on the road. I didn't like the idea of walking through the forest. What an idiot. The baby had jets. I double-checked. What's the jet status, baby? 
Jets are online. I gave the profs a nervous shake and placed my fingers over the jet throttles. We were going to go straight up, pop out of the woods into the open air. Where do I run to if the drones are up there waiting? Home? Glurk security? Throw myself on their mercy for breaching the no-fly zone? Anu said his mother works for security. Could she help? I took a deep breath, muttered to the baby that we're going straight up. The cockpit tilted up to give me a view of the treetops. I guess it was paying attention. I squeezed the throttles. It wasn't like on the playing field. The jets didn't cut out after a few meters in the air. We powered straight up, the acceleration forcing me down into the pilot's seat. One moment there are leaves high above me. Next moment, clouds. Good thing the cockpit had tilted in the seat with it. I let up on the jets and put us into a slow spin so I could look around. Nothing moved in the sky around us. No black diamonds were flying across the forest far below us. We were up pretty high. I could see the city towers, and though we were far away from them, I could see the cloud parks on the top of the tallest towers. So we were at least two kilometers up. Maybe even three. From up here, the no-fly zone was a grey patch on the edge of the ring of the habitats in the city. I flew us away from it, following the edge of the ring from way out over the wilderness. I wanted to go home, and I wanted to get there while staying as far away from those buildings and the drones that protected them as I could. Being up in the sky, I exposed. Anyone, anything could see me. I sent the baby diving towards the trees again. I remember what Azalea had said in Cake Stand. It was empty out here. Unlike her, I was glad there weren't any drones around. We skimmed the top of the sink trees, following the landscape. Our flight was a roller coaster. Down low, brushing the treetops, popping up until I could see the city to adjust our direction. Up and down. We just needed to do a couple of loops and it would be a real veer ride. Wouldn't that be fun? Maybe next time we fly out here, when drones haven't put the fear into me. It didn't take long to fly around to the far side of the ring. The baby was fat and slow on the ground, but in the air it really moved. As we crossed out of the wilderness and over the industrial ring, I was worried more drones would rise up. But nothing happened except Baby announcing Travnav wanted to take over. Fine with me. I told her our destination was home, and the baby slowed down and descended to join the commuter lane that followed the ring road anti-clockwise around the city. I was still expecting black drones to appear at any moment. We dropped down and landed with a solid clang on the transit pad outside my street. It felt so good to walk into the cul-de-sac and onto the mecha pad in our yard. I didn't fully relax until I was inside and eaten half a basic chalk spread sandwich. I should have come straight home for my first flight instead of almost getting myself into the worst trouble ever. It made the cheating feel like dropping crumbs on the floor. I was slurping up noodles when I got a message from an unknown ID. It had to be Anu. It said, Go to your back door. I don't want anything to do with him. I can't believe he told Davor I scratched his mecha. Not only did he tell him, he showed him the camera feed. More of his illegal access to the school systems. Someone should tell the invigilator about that. But then he would tell her about my 94. Toxic situation. Another message arrived. Stop eating noodles and go to the back door. How did he know what I was eating? I went to the door and opened it. A small drone was hovering outside at eye height, with a small grey box in its grippers. It held the box out to me. I took it and it shot up into the sky. 
I opened the box on the way back to my noodles. Inside of it was a stiff plastic envelope containing a black square. A new message arrived. The black square is an inertial tracker. Attach it to your dad's bike where it will not be seen. Not on the wheels, obviously. I wrote back, No. My mini-tab showed an incoming voice call from the same unknown ID. I'm not doing it, I said as soon as I answered it. Why? Why? Why did you tell Davo I scratched his mecca? For many reasons, none of which you would understand. Really, I wouldn't understand? Give me a single reason. If I must. His mother works for my mother. You're friends with Davor? No. The inertial tracker has an electrobond strip on the back. There's no chance it'll fall off. I'm not doing it. Today, your mecha has jets. Don't you want to know what else it can do? I guess, but I'm done helping you. I'm afraid you can't quit now. Too bad. I've already quit. You're not thinking, Praxit. I don't need to think about it. I've made up my mind. Consider two things. First, a threat. Just as I could hide our chat box from your test recording, I can insert you performing an illegal system access. Second, an appeal. An ultra-heavy drone crashed right next to your mecha. Your unique zero-ID mecha. Two impossible things coming together in the same space and time. There must be a link between them. But I, we, need more information to discern it. He was going to make it look like I had hacked the test sphere? No wonder he wasn't concerned I would report him. Fine, I'll do it. The tracker's not going to do any good. I flew over there today and it's all just buildings. You overflew the no-fly zone? Yeah. Worst move ever. I told him about the black drones and the pursuit. You are very lucky not to be in a security cell right now. That sent a shiver through me. I hadn't thought about that. Don't tell anyone else. Place the tracker where it can't be seen. Retrieve it when he returns and message me on this ID. I will send a drone to collect it. What if he catches me? Lie to him. You're getting quite good at that. I was worried I was going to get the chance to attach the tracker to Dad's bike. He was relieved that the baby had jets and made me tell him about jetting home. Of course I had to lie about that. But, you know, like Anus said, I was getting good at that. I showed him Coda's veer footage of the ports on the back of the legs and Dad whistled. Those are some serious ports. Then he started asking me questions about Davor and I played dumb and tried to change the subject. Finally, after interrogating me all through dinner, he sat down on the couch and Veer called Minky. He wasn't going to see or hear anything I did as long as he had his set on. I picked up a Robovac from the service room to use for an excuse if he caught me and went out the front door and around to the storage bay. The bike was plugged in and charging. The green bars of the battery meters were all pulsing. I put the Robovac down and opened the plastic envelope. The inertial tracker was a thin square of plastic about two centimeters on a side. I placed it on the inside edge of the frame below the left passenger foot peg and stood back. No matter where I stood, or even if I squatted, I couldn't see the thing. From the moment you activate it, an inertial tracker constantly records how fast it is moving and in what direction. If you know exactly where in space it was when activated, you can use those measurements to retrace the path the tracker has followed. Overlay that path onto a map, 
and you can see everywhere the tracker has travelled. What Ainu was going to do with the information, I couldn't guess. The best learning day is Thursday, because it's the last learning day of the week. Everyone, even the guides, arrives a bit later than normal, stays out too long at lunch, and is ready to mech as soon as the last bell rings. Tabitha, my technical stream guide, was very adept at disappearing before the last bell on every day. It's not hard to sneak away from a room full of learners with veer sets on, and what kid is going to complain there's no one to make them learn on a Thursday afternoon? I'd already messaged my friends about flying yesterday, but they wanted me to tell them again in person. I can't believe the baby can go in the high-speed lane, said Azalea. I'm going to be all by myself in the bottom lane. I'll always fly with you, I said. Of course we will, said Coda. How well does it fly? Better than it walks. I told them about flying above the road, leaving out all mentions of drones. It was going really well until I missed a corner and hit the trees. You're lucky you didn't pop a joint or crack your cockpit, said Azalea. You'd have been stranded out there overnight in the dark. She shuddered. I know. I might have had to live out there, catching fish and eating leaves. I'd rather eat giraffe pepperoni every day of the week, she said. What I don't understand is how you're able to fly out of Travnav-controlled space. It's the baby. It's open class. Open class? I've never heard of that. Me neither, but that's how it came. Dad bought it through the company he works for. Before you ask, just don't. I was afraid they were going to ask where Dad worked. I didn't want to go through all that again. That made me wonder how the inertial tracker was going. But I want to know, what does open mean for a mecha? You can ask that. I think it means I can fly anywhere. I recounted how I could fly above the high-speed lanes. You, in that lumpy mecha, you were above the high-speed lanes and you were just hovering? Coda seemed quite astonished. This means you can come to my house, said Azalea. She liked that idea so much she punched me in the arm. This is great! Gentle, I don't think you can jet with one arm. I can't feel my fingers, I said, because I couldn't. I can move them, fold these ones, straighten those ones, but I couldn't feel them. Look at what you've done to my hand! I held it up. So rude, said Azalea, seeing my fingers, and punched me again. Same spot. I groaned and winced. That one you deserved, though your jetting days may already be over. Oh, Moon, you both need meteor arms. The feeling will return in a few minutes. An hour at most. Definitely tomorrow at the latest. I hope. Most of the feeling was back in my fingers as I headed from lunch to technical stream. Lots of kids were running late, and there wasn't much the hall drones could do about it except dart back and forth overhead, beeping rapidly. It was their go-faster sound, but everyone just filtered it out. Some kid walked by me beeping along with it while his friend beatboxed around it like it was part of a drum and bass revival act. Hey look, it's the flying dim lord. It was Risto, and Berka was with him, standing in the middle of the hall just near the black couches of the waiting zone. Don't get too close, he'll run away. I tried to go around them, but they shifted to stay in front of me. Why are you running? This isn't a tryout, said Risto. I didn't run away. My jets misfired, I said, and tried again to move past them, but they pushed in front of me. I looked around for another escape, maybe through the waiting zone? And guess who was standing in his office doorway watching the whole thing with a sneer on his face? Old Mr. Red Eyes, Cooper Tremblay. Jets don't misfire. You ran. 
You think you're a sim hero, but you're a real life zero, said Burko. I faked darting left and they went for it. I dashed around to the right of Risto, twisting to avoid the last second grab he made for me, and trotted down the hall. They didn't bother to follow me. Run, dim lord. Run away. I couldn't win. If I stood there and listened to them, I lost. If I ran away, I lost. I turned to throw some fingers in their direction. They sent them right back. That was useless. Didn't achieve anything. They already knew I didn't like them. Back behind them, Cooper was still watching and sneering from his office. Want more Futures Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash Futures Mecca.